This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton from 105.7 The Point, and our good buddy and teammate down the hall, 101 ESPN, and former St. Louis Blue defenseman Jamie Rivers. Gentlemen, happy Monday to you. A very busy week of hockey uh, lined up for us. Holy cow, what a weekend, too, right? <laughs> it's going to be uh, head first into yeah. hockey. Yeah, is anybody, so the home opener is tonight, by the way. Anybody going? No, I didn't no, get tickets. I, I'm going. Hey, good for you. How'd you get tickets? I got. I didn't get tickets, of course. Oh, you're the media yeah, pass. Yeah, just, uh, just a media pass. Just you know, Jeff, pass, the yeah. media pass doesn't include the showers anymore. Oh, so now I got a shower beforehand. No, we, we that's, how, keep... that's how actually I met Jeff. Was, I, I, I'm he's not surprised. Interviewing about me about my tape job on my stick. I in got the it. I every time that they send us those emails <laughs> that we can that we can. Um, Apply for a press pass for yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. I just I cannot pull the trigger to do it. Why? I, because I because Will dude, you fan out. Well, no, I won't fan out. I'll be able to. Okay. You know, man, I can hold. I, I, I just ask you. No, no, that's a legitimate question. Because I, if there. I had a press pass for like uh, one of the concert things, and I don't know. Well, I've already I've met a few big names, yeah. but let's say it's Eddie Vedder, okay, or Pearl Jam, or one of those guys. Like, I wouldn't fan out, but I'd be like, okay. Like, I'm excited. Sure. Like, I've got a press pass. I get to talk to this dude after, and I'm pretty excited about it. So that's all I meant. No, no. See, it's not even just that. It's just that I very much still appreciate the fan aspect of this for me. Mm -hmm. And I really do legitimately respect those that that do it for a living. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and I don't want to, like, impede on their territory. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's not like you're going to write a big two-page essay on it. <laughs> right. like, no, you're right. Anymore. And I, and I I overthink things. You know what, guys? I'm going to come in here prepared for us you every are. single time. This is volume two. <laughs> I do see the the, the font or that's bigger. The picture it's may the be bigger. Picture um, his, 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 one of his kids must have shown him how to make clip art bigger. Thanks, Ava. So it's <laughs> so this is kind of like talking, uh, going in the past and bringing up something you don't want to talk about, but we do mm. need to talk about Friday night's quote-unquote game. We got to? Um, but the situation for me that upset me about the game so much was uh, I was not at home. I was in Springfield, and uh, we didn't have our normal you know way to watch the game. Uh-huh. We had a TV that was not hooked up anything. We had a Roku, you know, uh, and I, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly what happened, but I just do know the people that were with me. I tasked them to have the game by 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And this was about 4, and things were getting a little squirrely. I was getting concerned <laughs> because weather was, you know, there was bad At weather. At 4? You quite yeah. a bit of runway left, though. Well, the, yeah, but with the people that I was working with on this, and I would be no help. So it was like, okay, pull up the Fox Sports uh, Midwest app. We can pull that up on the – but then we don't know the login and the username mm. and the password and all that stuff. So it was like we're down to three tries, and soon it's going to lock us out. Well, what if we get a Roku remote? So somebody goes to the store and gets a Roku remote and comes back with that, and then Abby's still on the computer trying to figure out what – well, which email is it tied to? What's the password? I don't know. Try this. It's going to lock us out. Oh, God. We yeah. finally get on about 6.45, 7 o'clock something like that for an eight to nothing freaking game after oh, all of that all, yeah. all of that work for that after all of that i was, that on was a, uh, i was on an air mattress watching an eight to nothing drubbing yeah that, that's a lot of work to get kicked in the nuts it really was <laughs> it is. i mean but in, in my i was i had so many high expectations for the game given the fact that the game prior same two teams how can two teams look completely <laughs> polar opposite like 48 hours later jamie 
Well, this is what I, I was kind of worried about this because they emptied the tanks in game one and the high altitude and make of it what you want. Some people say BS. I've been there. I've lived it. I can tell you people who just go and visit there and go for a walk some days, just a little hike. They're like, "Ooh, there's a little bit of a difference. The recovery time. Remember we talked about how when the tank gets empty, it's hard to refill it. Yes, they had a day off. But what happens in that day off is all the bumps and bruises settle in as well. I mean, you think about it. They've gone six months without physical contact. Training camp was one thing. But then to go headfirst into game one against the Avalanche, your bot, your groins, your hip flexors, your hamstrings, your calves, your back, your shoulders, everything feels like you've been hit by a car. And I mean it. Like maybe not a full-size Buick, sure. but maybe one of those little electric cars. Nonetheless, they get up pretty fast, and it hurts, okay? Still a car. Still a car. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that's what happened, is they had no answer. And I, this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out, these two-game sets, right? Because I think it would have been to the Blues' advantage. As much as I said, eh, I'm not sure before, I think it would have been their advantage to go back-to-back, like right next day, okay. play them. Because it gives the opposition very little time to adjust. And then both teams are struggling to recharge the battery. You get that day off, and Colorado, who's been training at high altitude, they they refill the tank quickly because it doesn't take as much. They go through the video. They have a little bit of a practice. Now they realign their, their lineup. They, they reunited the top line. It just looked like a much more prepared team. Where's the Blues? They're still scrambling a little bit. We I joked the other day about Oscar Sundquist staying on that one line. Oh, how's Mike Hoffman going to find his way into the lineup? And, of course, everybody's like, Riv, come on, you know, sober up. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, bye, fine. But look at what happened. You had one little thing that disrupted. And I, this is not geared towards Mike Hoffman. It, player X, we'll call him that because it doesn't matter. What you had to do is you had to realign your guys a little bit, and now two of those lines had to play as brand-new lines again. So it was their first game together. It just all around, guys, it was a, a a tough game. The penalty kill was not good. The amount of penalties taken was because of fatigue, not necessarily physical fatigue, but brain fatigue. And, um, you know, I'm giving you a little bit of an overview here. I know we're going to dive into all these yeah. sections. Jordan Bennington was pretty good to start the game. It was a mercy uh, pulling by Craig Ruby to get him out of there. And then after that, poor Billy Huso. Uh, that's a tough way to jump in with your team. He didn't look great. He looked a little off balance. Guys, I, I wrote this on Twitter uh, the other night. I have little takeaways after every game. And I'm like, next game can't come soon enough. Mm. And the reason being is because you want to get this one behind you and you want to get back on the ice and try to change some of what happened the, the day before. Okay, I get that after the game, but I had a thought of during the game, as a player, I'm assuming you were on the short end of a, a game or two like this, I would imagine, over oh, a yeah. career. Yeah, at what I p- usually try to get thrown out halfway through the game. Okay, <laughs> you kind of sort of answer, answer my question. <laughs> Go run I- somebody, whatever, take somebody's head off, go yell the ref, call him a certain you-know-what, and that usually is the game breaker. You get automatically tossed for that one, and you're like, okay, I'm out. What at what at an eight to nothing game? At what point are you like, well, there's no coming back here. At what point are you don't get hurt out there? At what point are you just on an autopilot eventually? Yeah, yeah. Or is that just the death of a professional athlete to be able to go on autopilot? Yes. What is the mind frame there when that? I mean, when you're mid ass whooping and you know that it that's just where the cards are going to lie for that night. 
every player has a different mindset in that moment, right? Because every player has a different level of talent and a different level of where they rank on the team. And so Ryan O'Reilly, who is the captain, like, welcome to being a captain, right? You thought this was going to be easy. Not that he did, but some people probably thought this is going to be easy for Ryan O'Reilly. It's not. Now he's got to play every third shift out there. He's in, he's basically skating in quicksand. Nothing good is happening. He knows he's going to have to talk to the media after. The mindset for me was always, I'm going to compete until the last second. The reason being is the old saying, you learn more through a loss than you do a victory. And I can tell you this, you learn way more about a player's character through a massive loss than you do a victory. That makes sense. And, you know, you watch players and how they start to develop bad habits. Are they veering off the program? Are they not working hard? Are they not blocking shots? Do they just decide to shut it down? These are all things that, as a coach, I'm looking at going, okay, so when the going gets tough, right, and we're in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and we win game one, but then game two we get the doors blown off of us, who am I going to lose? Who's, who's going to be the guy now that I have to worry about showing up? And who's going to be the guy that with two seconds left is still going to lay down and block a shot because what he does there actually carries over to the next game. Is, is there also any thought at all that we want to at least get one goal so it's not a shutout? No, I absolutely. Mean, you're you're pouring it out there as much as you can. You you de- It's an insult to be shut out. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. You take it personally. Um, and you're you're trying to burst the bubble. If nothing else, the the moral victory you can have is by making that goalie lose his shutout. Because if they win eight nothing, goalie gets the puck. Everybody celebrates. Blah blah blah. They win eight one. Goalie doesn't get the puck. It's so just, it's a change. You've got something. You got to you got to needle them in some little way. Take so, something out. So I, I I message you guys late in the game on Friday night and. All in caps, too. I understand. Listen, I understand (laughs) that this is not the same game as before when I started watching it when I I was growing up. And I understand that it's not the physical game that it once was. But, man, when you get down eight to nothing, aren't you just pissed off and want to freaking go after somebody? I I mean, at that point, and I I, I know he's going to yell at me, Mm -hmm. but at this point, why aren't you turning up the physicality to say, you know what, we're losing 8 to nothing, but God damn it, we don't like it, and when we play you again, it is not going to be this way. Because, and I don't want to question anybody's effort, but that's not what I mean, but holy crap, that third period was tough to watch. Tough. So when, I always hate doing this, back when... I played. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds so brutal. At least you can say that. But the guys, the, the new guys are always like, oh, I know, back in your days. Yeah. Like our parents say, yeah, you walked in three feet of snow. Uh, right? yeah. Okay. But truthfully, in the 90s, let's just put it that way, and in the early 2000s, it, there were teams I played on where other teams would purposely not run up the score because they knew if they ran up the score – that it was go time mm-hmm. and that there were going to be bodies everywhere. Not like killing people, hard hits, finishing hits, um, you know, maybe a scrap or two, maybe making your life a little uncomfortable after the wind, after the whistle blows. Yeah, you do that. And the reason you do that is to spread the word around the league that these guys here, you get up by a couple of goals on them. <sighs> You better put your mouth guard in and buckle up your chin strap because it's going down. Mm-hmm. And what what happens there is teams, they don't go out there and try not to score, but they play a very aware game and they take inventory of who's on the ice. And then all of a sudden, instead of driving the net where they might get an elbow in the chops or a stiff hit, a glove in the face, run into the end boards, whatever it is, 
Uh, they'll dump the puck in. What's the number there? What's the number that you start that caution? Because eight, at obviously. At four goals. A four, okay. Oh, at four goals, yeah, because three goals. At eight, you can't come on the third period and start dropping gloves because it makes no sense, all that kind of stuff. But you got to be physical, and at what point do you not drop the gloves? After four, I guess? At four goals, at that point, there's something's got to happen, right? Like, you've got to send some kind of a message. And look, at today's game is much different. So to your point, Ty, I don't even say guys have to fight anymore. Quite honestly, I think these guys have the greatest gift in the world right now because they can run around and crush people and never even have to answer the bell. Yeah. Like, I back in the 90s and the early 2000s, I ran around like that, but I always had to be shoulder-checking who's coming after me, who's coming to take my head off. Now you skate around like you're Tony Twist or Bob Probert because what does the other team maybe have one guy that will fight? And they're, they're not heavyweights anymore. There's probably only four or five heavyweights in the NHL total. So, in my opinion, to get back on, on track here, my opinion, you play really hard physically. You don't have to take penalties because that's just going to make it worse. That, that'll run up the score. Instead of eight, it might be 12. So you play within the rules, but you play hard. Dump pucks and get hits on D. Get hits on forwards. Don't give up. Check extra hard. Just something to, to, to get some kind of a moral victory of it. Because you are playing these guys six more times, the Avalanche. And you want their last memory to be of, not that they beat you 8 nothing, but the second half of that game was miserable. Mm-hmm. And if that's the way to do it, you know, if you're the most hated team to play against, whether you're, you're winning or losing, then that says a lot about your team. And I didn't get that feeling leaving Colorado the other night that the Blues were the most hated team that the Avalanche are going to play this year. Uh, can you can you talk about the goaltending on Friday night? And, and obviously, um, it felt like Bennington w- was keeping us in there in that first period, but then things went awry. How do you, as a coach, how do you kind of handicap what you saw there on Friday night with Huso and with with Bennington because Huso felt like he got thrown to the wolves man yeah. like that that was not a great situation you kind of alluded to that earlier yeah look I thought Bennington was just fine you know first period I thought he was just fine and second period yeah there's some goals to win but there was some really bad coverage too there were some really awful looks by the Blues defensively that caused some of that and so I, like I said I think it was a mercy pulling by Chief with Jordan Bennington, and it's a good time to go, you know what, we're going to try and shift gears here a little bit. Maybe my team will, uh, their intensity will spike now, knowing we've got the young kid going in, and sometimes it changes. Sure. Well, it didn't, okay? It didn't change at all. In fact, it actually got worse, and poor Billy Huso, he's got to get in there. His first game in I don't even know how long in the NHL to where he's getting some shots, and now he's being overwhelmed by a Colorado Avalanche team. And he had some rebound control problems. Uh, he had some tracking problems. He had trouble finding the fuck uh, the puck. We'll try to. He had trouble finding. We'll edit the that one. Puck. We'll edit that one in post. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's the difficulty. That's the NHL, right? And that's coming in against one of the most electric uh, goal scoring teams in the NHL. So it's tough. All around, it was a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Dude, I can't believe that that word was an a- honest to god. Accident in this program. How many times did I say <laughs> that? was so amazingly awesome because you know we have that conversation. We don't want to cuss just to yeah, cuss. Yeah, just we to don't want to. And he absolutely wasn't going to no, cuss. No, he wasn't. No, and I don't. Even, that's <laughs> unbelievable. That was awesome. Getting back to. I the was goal. looking for the dump button too. <laughs> I'm so used to that. I was like, I'm expecting Mike Ryder to come running in right now. <laughs> right. Um, I did notice, a, and and one of the things on Huso was. 
uh, to to direct the puck away from the front of the net. And I saw a lot of in front of the net. And I also saw a lot of guys with the other team's uniform on hanging around that blue area way too much. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. That's why I said he had trouble finding the puck through the crowd of people. And, look, the NHL has changed. You can't just drill a guy in front of the net anymore. The cross checks to the back, they're gone. You can't do it anymore. So you've got to find good ways to either box them out. So basically you take your ice in front of the net and you box them out. Or you got to front the shot, block the shot, find a way to make sure that it doesn't get through to the net. But, yeah, way too many guys around the crease, too many rebounds sitting there, too hard for the young guy to find the puck. And let's be honest, the, the, the rebound, some of the rebounds were actually weren't terrible, but the other team was getting to the rebounds first. And that sucks when that happens. I hate to be the guy to bring this up again, and I hope I don't have to do this again, but watching the game with a, with a room full of people and then this morning just watching just the game highlights – Man, there was a lot of Justin Falk out there when there was goals. There was a lot of him out there when there was almost goals, too, man. I mean, he seemed to be watching a lot and chasing a lot. And I'm not saying every goal when he was out there. I don't know what his plus minus was. You guys probably know that. I don't know. And I'm not saying every time was his fault. But, man, he's out there a lot when negative things are happening. Yeah, he's – um, look, he, he's he's – in a rut right I, now. I, I wrote he looked lost at times. And, and I know that's an easy critique to use on his professional athlete, but he literally looked like he was like, I don't know where to go right now. It's tough. Look, at everybody kind of looked like that, but sometimes – here's what I'll say. Yeah, is, there was no all-stars. You're right. You're right. No, but here's what I'll say is when you watch a video, right, and now being a coach and doing as much video as I've done for pro players, junior players, you name it, as I look at a video – Every shift, I can either find all of the negative things or I can find all of the positive things. It depends what frame of mind I'm in at that moment. So this is why it's so important for coaches to be businesslike. Do not let emotion come in. So if, to your point, if Coach Berube, Chief, is you, okay, and you're him, and you're watching the game saying what you just said, right, you're finding everything negative about Justin Falk. That's because your brain is telling you, I don't think he's playing well. I'm finding all the problems. Well, I can also tell you that I hit the Google and hit NHL and pulled up the score and I watched a little eight-minute, nine-minute highlight, and it wasn't nine minutes of highlight of him either. No. It really but, was, but you're right. I'm going in with the negative. All right, what's sure. Justin doing now? Where right? I'm headed with it, though, is not that you're wrong. Okay? Oh, okay. Where I'm headed with it is that sometimes we're programmed. So for some people who are listening right now, I mean, create your own scouting report. And, Jeff, you have, and you're not wrong. Okay, you're accurate on this one. And he's he just seems like he's trying to get used to a system that he's never played before. Um, unfortunately, he's been here for a year. And now the only other thing I can say is he's getting used to a new partner, getting used to some new forwards, getting used to playing more, because Robert Bortuzzo left the game early. He only played a minute and a half or a minute and change, and now Justin Falk and every other defenseman had to play that much more and maybe he wasn't ready for that. Maybe it was still uphill for him. There was a few guys that looked like they were skating uphill out there as well. So he's got to figure it out, though. He's he's your top one of your top four defensemen. He's playing in penalty kill situations. He's playing against some of the big lines right now. He's got to figure it out. But I, I will defer back to this, is that it is a five-man unit out there. And, yes, maybe he's the – the weak link at times, but other times he's not, and he's left out on an island. And, yes, then he looks bad again 
but the play actually started somewhere else, and he's just left with a big bag of crap to hang on to. Gotcha. Can you talk about the Bortuzzo hit? I, I did not see it until after the fact, until he was out of the game. Uh, was it a was it a cheap hit? It, it certainly, to me, seems like something that would have warranted a penalty after after I've looked at it. But obviously, easy for me to say watching from from TV. And, and I'm the guy that's going to compare it to the Blay hit and go uh, this over here, but nothing from the NHL on this one. But, so. w- but Blay, I thought he had done it before, though. Hadn't well, he been suspended uh, before? I, I which is maybe why no. he got two games. No, no. He's, okay, no. Okay, he's not a repeat offender. That's what I. As that's what I was call going it. for. Yeah. Uh, look, Sammy Blaze, the only difference there is is that Sammy made primary contact with the head. The other one with Nikushkin was he kind of hit him in the back shoulder, follow through, and the head ended up hitting the glass because of it. Okay. Now, I still think there should have been a suspension. If you're going to set precedent with Sammy Blay with two games, the Nikushkin hit has to go down for, if nothing else, at least a fine. Okay? It can't go unpunished. And I thought that was weird, specifically because it's the same series, right? You got the two same teams. It, not that it was premeditated, but you look at it and you go, okay, Sammy Blay got two games for, you know, brushing Taze's chin with his shoulder, and now Bortuzzo was lost the rest of the game. Taze came back the first game. I think you at least have to find Nakushkin on that one. But the bigger problem I have with this, guys, is how did Nakushkin not have to pay a fine throughout the rest of the game? Mm, that is a great point. You know what I mean? Like, There's no answer back for that. Kyle Clifford. It wasn't eight to nothing by then. No, Kyle Clifford, I think, by, at the end of the first or at the very end of the second. I'm not sure. Maybe it was the end of the second. He took about 12 steps and ran them and crushed them, okay? Great. Yes. Good. And I'm not saying guys have to fight. I don't. I'm not, I'll never be that guy because, you know what, to stand there and do it and force somebody else or tell somebody else to do it, shut, just shut up. Okay. If you can't do it yourself, don't tell somebody else to do it. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean you can't play physical enough for where the fight finds you. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've always said is I can guarantee you I can find a fight if I want to. Mm-hmm. And it's not by going up and saying, hey, do you want to fight? No, it's by going up and running Nathan McKinnon through the boards. It's by running Kale McCarr through the boards. It's by playing physical against Gabriel Landeskog. At some point, they've got to come and confront you. So guess what? I found a fight at that point. So with Nakushkin, who's a big dude, man. He's a big guy. He's a big dude. I thought that somebody could have stepped up to send a bit of a message that, hey, you know what, Bobby Bortz, he's one of our guys. We love him to death, and he'd step up for Thank us. Thank you. Yeah. And you know what? And and if you're not able to physically go after a guy like Nakushkin, pick somebody else and then tell him why you picked him. You go over and you grab a guy like, uh, heck, Nathan McKinnon, and you run him through the boards, or at the end of a whistle happens, you take him to the ground, face wash him, give it to him, whatever you got to do, and you go, that's because Nakushkin ran Bortz, and I'm going to keep doing this you know, the rest of the game, the rest of the season, get used to it. And now Nathan McKinnon goes over to Nakushkin's like, hey, jerk. <laughs> How about you stop doing that, you know? And trust me, it happened to me a bunch where I'd be running around and teams of guys would come and buzz the tower on me. Now I always had Twister, right. who is just the, you know, the silverback he, he was gorilla. He right? He was a fighter, Twister. He's kind of a fighter, and he just, bit. he would tell me sometimes, hey, uh, I'm bored. And I'd be like, okay. All right, let me go be a douche, and then Here somebody we go. will fight you. Yep. <laughs> so it's not hard. So, so if you had maybe a player on your own team go, hey, 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 ribs, slow down. Or, hey, cut that out because I don't want an, I don't want an earful of elbow. 
anything and like that. And there's a respect factor too. You know, like there were times where when Holly wasn't a St. Louis Blue and we played against him, he was with Dallas and um, coaches would say, hey, we want you to play him hard. So you're going out there and I'm, I'm getting after Holly pretty hard. And then, you know, your teammates lay A. You know, have a little respect. Right. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, then you feel really stupid. And <laughs> I remember Mike Keenan, who's my favorite, mm-hmm. um, he sent me out to go after Gretzky when he played with L.A. Hey, Rivs, uh, I'm expecting that 99 doesn't finish the game. Whoa. And I'm like, wow. I'm like looking around and Holly goes, yeah, right. That's He's like, hilarious. if you touch that guy, you're an idiot. That's a pretty decent impersonation of him back in the day, <laughs> I, by absolutely. the way. Absolutely. I know people have not heard him sober in quite a while, but sober, that's pretty good. Me not Holly. you, Holly. Okay. <laughs> Both could be true. So so down to this, with this, uh, the Bortuzzo thing, we don't know how long he's going to be out. Obviously, he's not playing tonight. So are we getting some vanilla ice ice baby ice cream or are we getting Nico Mikola? Uh, we might get both, guys. We might get both, and the reason I say that is because uh, Mikola was skating in Pareko's place this morning at pregame skate, so I'm wondering if that is a maintenance day to where mm-hmm. Pareko's like, yeah, I don't need the morning skate, I'm tired, I just want to get ready for the game, or if he's got bumps or bruises, like, let's, heaven forbid it's COVID-related, I think right. we'd have heard something about that by now, um, but it could be something where he's banged up. So if that's the case, if Mikola goes in for Pareko, then, yeah, Gunnarsson will definitely go in for Bortuzzo. Damn. That'd be all right. It's a different look all over. It is a different look all over. I I think part of the thing that I do not take into account as much with this team, and I certainly didn't at the beginning of the Stanley Cup run year, that it does take a while for everyone to, to, to kind of settle in and to get themselves like in a routine, not necessarily a routine, but to get used to playing with each other. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that... After that game one, I was so high after that ass whooping that I just thought, oh, it's here, it's ready. The switch is on, we're ready to go, and there's plenty of work to do. Well, and yeah. as a fan, you just get a little bit you yeah, know, but ahead it, of yourself. As long as the fans do that, but is that what happened with the players? Like, hey, we just destroyed, well, not just destroyed this team. We had our way kind with of. them in a little bit. Game two, they were just not on edge? No, sometimes you... I mean, they're uh, professionals. They should be on edge all the time, <laughs> They're right? also humans. Well, okay, Jeff? Yeah. Let's, let's, I've heard. You know. um, yeah, it, sometimes that leaks into the game a little bit. You know, you start to feel a little confident in your what you've done, and you get to where you're patting yourself on the back pretty hard, and you think that you're awesome. Now, I don't necessarily think that that was the case yeah. here in, in, in Colorado for the second game. I just think it was a team that they... The, the Avalanche was a team that was ready to go, and they opened the floodgates, and the Blues did not have it physically or mentally to match that. And one thing that I wanted to dive into today is it's a, it's going to be interesting to see how the Blues handle moving forward, how they match up against the other team's top lines, right? Because I watched this two-game series, and... A lot of times, the Nathan McKinnon line ended up uh, out there against the Justin Falk, Marco Scandella pairing. Now, there were a good, per- a small percentage of Krug and Pareko out there as well. But I-, I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, so we Alex Petrangelo is no longer a blue. And I think at this point, we're not appreciating what he did enough because you used to be able to, used to, be able to stack Petro with Gunnarsson or Petro with Player X, and then you had Pareko and Bowmeister. So you had your top four that could shut down any line. I'm looking at it so far, even in the victory, and I'm going, okay, we don't really have that shutdown pair. 
We don't. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say that, look, at, at Jeff, if we're talking about Justin Falk right now mm-hmm. and Marco Scandella, they're trying to figure it out, okay? And that's a big jump to go from, you know, a 6-7 defenseman for Justin Falk to a 4-5 spot for Scandella. Now he's in the shutdown pair against some of the best players in the league. This is going to be tough. And then you say, well, Colton Pareko's the guy, right? Well, yeah, he is, but his partner uh, is Tory Krug. And Tory Krug can play defense, and he can hang and bang with those guys, but then you're nullifying his offense. So his ability to jump into the play, get him, be a part of the rush, you're nullifying that because he's playing so hard defensively that there's not going to be a lot of gas left in the tank. And if he goes offensively and there's a turnover, now it's two or three on one coming back the other way against Pareko. So now you're nullifying the ability to possess the puck as well. So Craig Berube, to me, has an interesting problem here, or situation, rather, ahead of him, is how do I pair these guys up properly in order to, when I'm at home, get the last change and get the matchup that I want against their top line? Because more often than not now, other teams target defense pairings. Not so much the line they play against, but the defense pairings. And Craig Berube up front, He's got four lines that can play pretty much against anybody. But what he doesn't have right now is three pairings of defense that, not that they can't play with anybody, but that right now I'm sure he's not as confident in each of those pairs to match up every night against the other team's best players. Well, and I think that's one of the things we were worried about going into the season. Did Mm -hmm. the Blues give up too much or have the Blues lost too much stay-at-home defensive ability over the course of the last couple of years, especially with Petro and Bowmeister? Being gone, I mean, that's those those two like steady Eddie folks are mm-hmm. out there doing the thing. Bo Meester especially not getting mentioned, but apparently doing an amazing job of shutting things down. Well, it's, and that's what's amazing to me. Sorry to, no. to interrupt you, dude, but like when you when you see those sort of unsung guys that are doing the job night in night out that you're that you're kind of bl- blissfully unaware of, you know. Well, and I don't think Dunn had a great game either, but I think in one of those, this is one of those instances where just to reiterate what you're saying before Donnie has something is that you got the talent there. It's not as great a talent as in the past. You have the talent there. You just got to get the right matchup is what you're saying. You have a different set of talent, right? So you've got more puck moving, puck offensive uh, production from guys, potential offensive production from guys. And to me, that's the biggest thing is you no longer have that shutdown D. Like think back, think back two seasons ago to the Stanley Cup run. You had Gunnarsson, Petro, Bo, Pareko, Edmondson, Vince Dunn, Bortuzzo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That one, look at the size. Joel Edmondson, 6'3, 220. Uh Gunnarsson's what, 6'3, I think, 6'2, 6'3. Uh Petro, 6'3, Bo, 6'4. And now you've added Justin Falk, who's 5'10", 5'11", Tory Krug, 5'9", with a little bit of heel, <laughs> Vince Dunn, who's 5'9". You know, look at your lineup. Oh, it's yeah. gotten quite a bit smaller. It's a bunch of second basemen out there. It's that is. <laughs> <laughs> middle infielders. Yeah. But look, at, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be negative here because I'm not. It's yeah. just a different look. So now what the, the ultimate thing that the Blues have to figure out is, how do they turn into a Stanley Cup contender with this look? Mm. And how do they maximize each player on the back end with this new look? Yeah, yeah. And again, just to reiterate, you're, the talent is obviously there. Oh, my God, yeah. It's just the, the pieces of the puzzle are fitting a little differently this time around. Yeah, it is. And it's we're two games in. Right. right? Absolutely. So we're so. two games in. So <laughs> let's, you know, take a minute and Take breathe. a deep breath. Yes. Breathe. I feel like Braden Shin should be my favorite player on, on this Blues team. 
because it seems like on Friday night when there was a lot of nonsense going on and not a lot of guys that were out there playing and finishing, Shin was one of the few that absolutely was in every single game he's like that. Yeah, I think every he, game he's like he's that. the guy that you watch and say, okay, eight to nothing. He still is putting in that mm-hmm. effort that we were talking about earlier. Can can you? I, I I'm interested to kind of talk about the guy that is Braden Shin because I feel like he's kind of sort of forgotten about in this fantastic team that the Blues have. You you, you know, you'll talk about Pareko and Krug and 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 O'Reilly and but I mean Shin is a big dollar guy that seemingly every game, man, it is one of your best players every single night. Can you kind of just talk about the player that he is and the person that he is as well? Yeah, this is why he's got an A on his jersey. And this mm-hmm. is why Jeff a while ago, or Donnie too, both you guys, I said he was my dark horse to get the captains. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because well, he has seven years left on his contract, for one thing. But to your point, Donnie, he brings it every single day. Everyone. Practice and games. And I compare him to, you know, a loose comparison, but still nonetheless pretty close to a Brian Sutter that was here before. Now, Sutter's had, you know, a little more offensive ability and, and whatnot, maybe a better fighter. But the willingness to compete is very similar. The guts and glory type attitude is very similar. Uh, Braden Shen is a no-nonsense guy. He's all about the team. If you hear him talk about, you know, how they've built this team, he talks about, yeah, we don't have a 100-point guy. We don't have a 100-point player. That's it, but it doesn't matter because we got a bunch of guys that are 67-point guys, and guys are going to play hard and going to defend and going to play for each other, and I'd rather play with a bunch of dudes like this than have one or two absolute studs, and hopefully they play good and maybe we'll win. No, he's, he'd much rather be with the team that they have now. And he's a throwback. He's a throwback, guys. He he's all about the team chemistry, having beers with the boys, and certainly with the pandemic, it's made things a little different. But they still do get some time on the road to be together and to you know have that 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 chemistry. But now I can't listen. There's not enough hours in the day for me to describe how much I really really like Braden Shen as a player. He definitely the guy that would drop down and, and stop a block a shot with four seconds left. Hundred percent. Uh, uh, Does whatever it takes. And and talking about, there you go, whatever it takes. We are talking about our new captain earlier and how, you know, hey, after game one, it's easy to be a captain. After game two, it's not so easy to be a captain. And he had for the first time to call out his team, and he kind of did in the press. Talk about how that's got to be tough for a first-time captain to go, hey, ain't nothing, we had to be better. I think he even called him embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, he did use that word. And look, it's hard. Being the captain is you're in front of the media every single day. When things are great, when things are mediocre, and when things are awful, you're the face of the franchise. And by the way, the things that you say, the fans can turn on you, or not turn on you, but disagree with you right away. Like he, I believe I saw a quote that he said Bennington was the best player on the ice while while he was out there. Well, he wasn't wrong. Bennington, I, I agree. Bennington was outstanding, and they, they literally left him hung out to dry but, yeah, look at people now are going to see – well, Ryan O'Reilly specifically is going to see how hard it was to be Alex Petrangelo. And how many times did we all sit back – not me because Petro's my boy, but uh, a lot of people sat back and said, questioned Alex Petrangelo as a captain. Well, has he got it? I don't know. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly should be the captain or Alex Steen should be the captain. Well, they weren't. And Petro was, and I think that people are going to see now within that team, the, with four walls of that dressing room, that it wasn't an easy job. And specifically the Stanley Cup run year. Can you imagine being the captain of that team for half the season? Yeah. 
How much fun was that, right? Oh, man. So now Ryan O'Reilly gets a little dose of reality the other night. He's got to talk to the media uh, after getting you know their noses driven into the dog crap, ate nothing. And he's got to try and be honest. He can't be too emotional. He's got to keep himself in check, but he's got to... He's got to come unglued just enough so that everybody knows he, he cares and that his teammates will probably hear about it and all these things. There's so much thought that goes into those moments. So it's a lot to handle when you're the captain. You know, I want to use a, a bit of a football reference, not a football, but one of the things that I learned late in the year was that Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers uses the media to talk to his players. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe that that's not something that every coach does. But can you talk about the role of the media and, and Ryan O'Reilly in this job? Is he the kind of guy that will be like Mike Tomlin and will use the media to get a message across? Or is once that message hits an interviewer, it's already been discussed in the locker room. I think Ryan O'Reilly is a guy that will not use the media to, as his vehicle to the locker room. Um, you know, it, it's always, it's very tricky, okay? And Mike Tomlin is very strategic in how he does it. Sure. He doesn't necessarily come out and call out his best players and say they did something awful because he knows that will backfire. It's very measured. It's very measured. Yeah. When you're a player, you can't do that, right? Because here's the deal. Mike Tomlin gets in front of the camera every day. If the Pittsburgh media wants him in front of the camera, he's in front of the camera every day. Ryan O'Reilly will be in front of the camera every day. Braden Shan, Colton Pareko, Jordan Bennington. But your third and fourth line guys, they barely get camera time. So how are you? How is it fair for your captain to call your team out or to single out maybe a line or a situation, but then you have no rebuttal, mm. right? Yeah. So you're like, well, that's great. Yeah. I, okay. You made me look stupid. Now I have no rebuttal because nobody ever interviews me. You know, it's not a woe is me. It's just a fact. Right. Right. So that's why it's way better for it to happen in the locker room. And Ryan O'Reilly would definitely talk to keep people in the locker room and say, hey, look, man, that wasn't good enough. And then they can have their thoughts on. You know what they think happened, and what so and so did, or what we did, or most most hockey guys always gravitate to themselves and say, "I was awful. I didn't do the job right." right. And you know, and that way there, that self accountability is great. And then you usually have one or two guys that, well, Ryan O'Reilly, I guarantee his speech are off something like, "Look, I've got to be much better. Our penalty kill was awful. I'm the number one penalty kill guy here, and we gave up way too many goals." However. Look, so-and-so, you've got to stay out of the box, man. You can't put us in that situation. So it's always like self-deprecating first so that everybody knows, okay, he realizes he had a crap game too, and then now you expand it out to the locker room, and you're hoping that your guys, the rest of your team, is self-accountable as well. Uh, this is a very busy week for the boys, and we talked about this from the get-go. Tonight, San Jose, Wednesday, San Jose, Saturday, Sunday, back-to-back with the Kings. One thing that I was that one thing about this San Jose team that I was kind of surprised with, a couple of years ago, Martin Jones was in the net as the Blues beat them. And and listen, I'm not trying to be brutal here, but to me, Martin Jones was the glaring difference in that series. He did not look good at at all. Is it weird that San Jose is still pinning their 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 hopes on Martin Jones? Is he a better goaltender than he than he has shown? Kind of, can you talk about that a little bit? Because I was very I was very surprised to see that he was still the guy there. He came on the scene pretty strong. He was having some good success with the Sharks, and so they rewarded him with a big contract. Oh boy! Yeah, so that then, is the reason. Then their pot committed, right? Yeah. So through their seasons where they were looking to get a Stanley Cup. Before they were in rebuild mode, kind of like they are now, 
they had to go with him because they had so much money committed to him that if they wanted to add pieces around him, well, they had to just suck it up and stay with that contract. What are you going to do? Eat it? Five, yeah. six, seven million dollars yeah. and you eat it? You can't do that. So he's a, a bit of a process of, not a process, he, he, by default, he's the goalie now. And yeah, he's he's not a great goalie. Mm-hmm. He, his high glove is maybe the weakest in the NHL, which is not a good trait because guys love to shoot there. And NHL guys shoot the puck pretty hard and they pretty... Pretty good at hitting that. Pretty spot. accurate. Yeah, not too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Done it before. But yeah, he's. He, it's a problem for them. And now the Sharks being in a little bit of a rebuild mode. They don't have Joe Thornton anymore. Um, Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson's on a dead contract. Like he's playing okay, but they're stuck with him until I don't know the next millennium. Apparently, mm-hmm. and then that and that the 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 cap on that team has got to be top heavy. Right with Kane, Burns, Carlson. I mean, it's th- there's got to be so much in that top half that I, they cannot have the anywhere close to the depth that we have. Well, first of all, Evander Kane. Apparently, he needs the money these days. Oh um, yeah, wow. He's got on. a bit of a gambling Bankruptcy. problem. Bankruptcy. This oh is, really? Yeah, and he's the one that wanted to fight one of the Paul uh, Logan. Logan Paul. Paul. Well, he'll yeah. fight anybody right well, now. He needs true. the money. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah, he's twenty-seven million dollars in debt, a bank, gambling debt. And how much money has he oh made over his gosh. career? He's made about $40, 50000000 in his career, um, but I don't think he's made the best decisions. No? no? Guys, I know that you guys are going to yell at me about this, and that's fine. Oh, this uh, is going to be so fun then. No, but but I honestly, when I hear stories like this, man, and I know maybe it shouldn't be, but empathy is the first thing that pops up into my mind. And, and I again, I know the guy's made millions, but... but what is going on with your circle where you don't have somebody that tells you, hey, man, you've got this money, hire these, you know what I mean? Like, It's easy, Donnie. It, listen, I can tell you from personal experience, I was a 19-year-old kid that came from no money at yeah. all. Family, you know, paycheck to paycheck at best, and nobody in my family knew how to manage money because we never had any money. Yeah. So then I got handed a check, pretty big check, and I was like, whoa. I guess I spend it, mm, right? Like yeah, I now, can't I can't keep this. This is my way. Dr- this is my dream. I've dreamed yeah. of owning a big house and five cars and a lake house and jet skis and a boat and well none of my buddies should ever have to pay again at the bar because oh, you know I saw that plan. Yeah, I know. Jeez, oh. And it, you just start to live this lifestyle that if you get behind the eight ball, you're screwed. And oh. look, it bit me in the ass because halfway through my career I went from making a certain amount of money to making league minimum, again, just mm. based on where I was ranked for whatever team I was playing on. I went from making like six hundred grand to making 185000 Okay, it sounds like a lot. People are like, oh, that's a lot of money. It is. Right. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot that goes into there. There's taxes. There's agent fees. There's living in two different cities. There's all sorts of stuff. But if you grow accustomed to living a certain lifestyle, then that you're down to you're making 10% of what you used to make. That lifestyle just crushes you then because that bus, that train doesn't stop moving. Well, and I'd imagine once you realize that it's a problem, it's a little too late as well. Sometimes it's too when late. When it comes to his problem. Well, with him, he, yeah. he obviously with gambling specifically, right? Like, And I don't know the whole situation, but he obviously made a few bad wagers and then probably chased it right. by throwing money after money after money. And now he's got himself $27 million in debt and he has an $8 million outstanding uh, line of credit for a business that he o- opened or something. He's in bad shape, and I feel bad for the guy to a certain extent because I know how quickly it can get the, sure. the train can get off the rails. Uh, but at this point, he still has 
more than half his contract left. He's got a chance to come out on the good side of about $15 million if he does this right. So now's the time to expand that family circle into somebody who actually gives a crap about you. Yeah. And pay maybe pay a financial advisor a little bit of money to come in and readjust your life so that you can actually live and have a life after hockey. Otherwise, this guy's in trouble. Let me yeah. tell you something. Uh, back in 1999, went out to the amphitheater. We uh, had a point fest that day. After the point fest, we went over to the to the casinos, mm-hmm. do a little gambling. Sure, here we go. <laughs> I played blackjack. Uh-huh, how'd you do? Won $120. Atta yeah. boy. Last time that I've gambled. And you walked Honest it, to God. Did you was walk away? Time. You walked away with that 120 yeah. in your pocket. He's still got That's it. That's the difference right somewhere. <laughs> oh, dude, no way I still had that $120. You don't know me very well. That would have been spent on, on records way long ago. The, the amazing Bob Blager has what he calls not jokes, you know, but he, he has a great saying about how he – uh, uh, did not take care of his money when he was his first couple of years. He said he spent half the money on booze and women, and he just pissed away the other. Half. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Bob, I love your jokes. He goes, These are not jokes. He's like, This is real. And trust me, Amen. That stuff's real. First couple of years, you're like, Hey, I'm gonna make it rain everywhere I go. Yeah. Well, here's let, let's now get... I'm like in the fountain picking up the chains outside the studio. <laughs> you're the one being rained on now. Give it to me. All right, so four Blues games this week, tonight and Wednesday against San Jose, Saturday, Sunday against the Kings. You can catch the Last Minute Blues podcast on ESPN Radio tomorrow from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. and on Friday night from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. as well. We'd love for you to uh, to share us with your friends. Tell them about the Last Minute Blues podcast. It's Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Jamie Rivers, uh, and as always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.